Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. My name is Tim Malloy. Every episode of this podcast is for people who love movies and people who love making movies, but this one is especially for people who make movies because this episode is about using everything you already have to get your movie made. Our guests are Charlie Bueller and Jenna Ling Adams. Bueller is from South Dakota and Adams is from Minnesota. And they used all the tools in their toolkits to make a sci-fi drama as inexpensively as they possibly could, accessing things like a working farm, small planes, and Humvees, all of which they got from friends and loved ones. Oh, and Charlie Bueller's family also had a house that needed burning down, and you'd better believe they used that too. In the process of reverse engineering their story around all of these assets, they just happened to pretty much perfectly predict COVID-19. I'll let them tell the story. We start with Jenna Ling Adams, who you may know from Netflix's The Kaminsky Method. I started out by asking her a pretty straightforward question about her pandemic script. Is she psychic or what? I was working on a lot of, you know, sci-fi movies, really high concept stuff. I love, you know, more. I, I even hate calling them genre movies because I just feel like it, it minimizes them. But I, I love um, kind of otherworldly stories and especially as an actress, a female actress and writer, it's sometimes easier for people to accept following a woman when you set it in a world that doesn't exist. And obviously when I wrote this movie, I didn't see this happening realistically in our world, um, but had to, you know, we had to do a lot of research on what would happen realistically. And it was harder then because a lot of it was guessing. A lot of it was putting the pieces together and like, okay, what would happen first? Okay, they wouldn't, have mail coming around. Okay, what would people be talking about on the radio? And now it'd be easier to figure that out because it's happening currently. (laughs) Um, And we had to sort of piece it together. Um, But yeah, originally I was working on like a futuristic, like dystopian post-pandemic world. And then it morphed into something that's easier to shoot on a low budget and with the locations that we had. Yeah. Now you're both from the Midwest, right? Can you talk about where you're from and how you were led into film and how you met each other? I'm originally from South Dakota and I've always loved movies. And, you know, when I was growing up, like that's the thing that we did for fun. Like we didn't have access to, you know, the amusement parks or things that kids do, I think in in bigger cities, but we did have a drive-in. We had a local movie theater. Uh, We had movies that we watched at friends' houses. And um, so I love that world, but I didn't really think of directing as a career because it's just not done there. You know, it kind of felt like Oz, like something really far away. Uh, But then I I went to Notre Dame and I studied film. My first, you have to take a fine art at, at Notre Dame. And so my fine art was a film class and I realized how much I loved it. And I also realized it was a real job that people had, you know, like that, yeah. like they, like that was an actual industry. Um, and so I had been pre-med prior and I told my parents like, hey, look, hey, mom and dad, I'm not going to be a doctor anymore. Actually, I'm <laughs> going to be a director, <laughs> um, which they were not thrilled about at first, but have come around since. And, wow. uh, and yeah, and so then I packed my bags, moved to L.A. after I graduated because I knew that you have to spend time here. Like even if you shoot away from LA, you have to put in, I, I strongly believe you have to put in time here, build those relationships. But I also knew as a, a woman and as a woman of color, if I wanted to be a director, I would have to create my own, my own opportunities initially because yeah. it, it's hard enough for everyone. Um, but just like the reality of 
you know, the fact of the matter is that if I, you know, I love big genre movies and that's not the kind of movie I would be given without a fight. And so Jenna and I had worked together on a short film prior uh, to this movie. And as we were, she, she had a script that was like, she, as she was saying, like kind of like post or apocalyptic, um, but really interesting. Like I, when I read it, I loved it. And, you know, she had told me that she wanted a woman director on it. And I was like, awesome. I would love to, but um, this movie is going to cost millions of dollars. Like just, just the reality of it. Yeah. And so we can sit around and hope that someday someone might maybe give us millions of dollars having done nothing. Uh, or we can make something in the meantime using resources that we know we have access to for free and sort of reverse engineer a script around those concepts and make something that feels really big, but something that will be accessible to us. We, you know, thought about everything that we have and we leaned into those things and then we just forgot about everything that we couldn't do. Yeah. And we completely crafted the script around that. And so the movie feels really big Yeah. because if we couldn't do it, we didn't do it. But if we could, we did. And so, and so the world I don't feel, I think doesn't feel, you know, really constrained or small because I knew that I had a farm in South Dakota that we could shoot on. And I oh. knew that, you know, my mom had a relationship, tutored one of the National Guard members. And so we had a relationship with the National Guard. And so that's how that came about. And I, my dad is a hobby pilot. And so I knew that we could get access to airplane, an airplane. <laughs> uh, my, my grandpa needed to burn a house down anyway, because it needed to be destroyed. And so I was like, wait, grandpa, don't burn the house down. Like, let's add that to the script. And so that's how all these things came together. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that you know, for me, it happens to be like rural South Dakota life that I have access to, but I think everyone has a version of that. You know, yeah. like our lead actor, Dakota, his parents owned a zoo when he was growing up. And so his movie would not be on a farm, like his movie's in a zoo for sure. Yeah. And because that's what he has access to. And so it's, you know, it's something that feels so specific and so real because it was really real to me. Um, you know, it's a world that I grew up in, a farm that I grew up playing on my entire life. Like everything you see on screen means so much to me because it's attached to so many like beautiful memories as a kid. And I'm, if anything, I'm just happy to have that documented forever. Yeah. Um, but it was also like, I knew we had support to be able to do that. And um, so, you know, it's Jenna and I were like talking about how we were going to develop this like in a practical way because it was just us. Like we had no support like we were the producers we were the pa we were like helping crafty like we were booking plane tickets it was like there was no like larger infrastructure on this movie at all um yeah. the beautiful thing was we got to do whatever we wanted like we yeah. didn't have any like purse strings being like no you can't do that or oh we wanted to have this actor we could do whatever we wanted but at the same time we also didn't have any support uh in case there was some sort of like disaster like we had to figure it out if yeah. it rained and we couldn't shoot something we wanted to shoot we had to write some, you know jenna had we jenna was, and i were up all night like doing rewrites to anticipate or fix you know problems that had happened the day before because there were no reshoots there was no opportunities for do-overs it was make it work an 11 day shoot right we shot twice we shot in the winter what? and the summer yeah um, two, two, three winter three weeks in the summer yeah, so like almost oh, wow. like 25 days, I think, total, probably. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> so. and winter in South Dakota was a whole, if it's cold as it looks, like double it and you're halfway there. But also that, you know, when we think about the pandemic, we wanted to create something that could cause worldwide upheaval, worldwide chaos, mm-hmm. but would also be invisible and therefore cheap. It's really pretty amazing. You, you just ticked off all the things that I was wondering <laughs> you know, how did they how did they get that? I mean, to get not just one plane, but two planes to get the National Guard. The burning building is awesome. Can you talk about when you were writing the film, mm-hmm. what you wanted to say with it? Like what what yeah. message you wanted to get across? I think that I mean, the biggest theme for me is about identity and about facing your past and in no way is this autobiographical from my experience, like growing up in Minnesota or anything, but I do have this, you know, kind of disconnect with like my identity as a Midwesterner and my identity out in California and also living for a while on the East Coast and hopping around and figuring out who I am as a woman and who I am as an artist and all of that happened away from home, away from my childhood. And so going, and I still have that experience now when I go home and I'm reminded, I get these waves of nostalgia and then also these waves of, wow, I am so not that person anymore. And to, for Ava, it's the most extreme sense of that because she comes home and she was Amanda there and she was a completely different person in a completely different life. And she's gone complete 180 away from who that person is and then like back to her again and has to find um being back in this place where she was a victim and then take her power back and then she does a full 360 and comes back into that place and then fights back and that that was always the the driving force behind the script and behind her character Mm -hmm. and then it was yeah using the places that we had available and things that we could do but that was always the main theme and main drive of the story yeah you both seem to have a real faculty with rural life that a lot of times seems to be missing in hollywood movies where you just see like you know roping horses or something (laughs) and like to have them like putting fence posts up i thought was really cool to show how that actually works Well, that scene came about, so kind of going back to like having to solve problems. Mm -hmm. So actually we were supposed to shoot something completely different that day, Um, but it rained. And so we were shooting in a barn that had a tin roof and it was way too loud to shoot, you know, with rain on a tin roof. And so we were like, okay, we have to shoot something else. And so we thought, okay, let's shoot the chores part thing. Like, you know, the thing where Ava has to do chores with Jake. Um, but we weren't at the location that we were supposed to, because it was supposed to, I think, be feeding cows or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I walked outside and I saw all these fence posts that needed to be put in. And I was like, that, let's just, just install the fence posts that needs to happen anyway. And so that's literally how it came. It was just like looking around and seeing fence posts uh, and also knowing like, I think that's such a visually interesting thing. Most yeah. people don't know how that's done. It's also really messy in the mud. It's like hard work. It's tedious. It takes a lot of work. work. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's actually a lot of work to be able to work in these fence posts. Um, And I prefer it way, so much more than if they had been feeding cows. I think it's much more interesting and much more. Yeah, Yeah, we got that stuff later. And that was like easy stuff to pick up like when we needed to. Um, Another thing I was thinking about that flipped on the day was also one of my favorite scenes, 
the the scene in the summer where Ava's showing Max the house and obviously the house becomes a really important um, location in the movie um, and initially it was supposed to be Max telling Ava about the house and Max explaining you know showing her this place that he used to go and then on the day it just something was I don't quite remember what it was but like something just wasn't quite working and we were trying to get like our two characters to really connect and then we flipped it for Ava telling him about the about the house and it also it worked because I had been there so many more times more than Ryan who, who played Max because yeah. we've been scouting you know we've been like planning shots there and like I knew this space and I knew like where to show him where things were and I already had you know a tie to it and so it just felt more personal and it felt like these two people are bonding over um, her experience that she's never opened up to anyone about. And that made him soften way more to her in that scene and then going, moving forward in the story. And it just made it way more powerful. And those are the things that you can't foresee. You can think, oh, it's going to play a certain way and it makes sense this way. And then suddenly when you flip it, it has this ripple effect on the rest of the story that there's no way you could plan that. Well, in that house, so the old house on my grandpa's farm, and my great uncle in the 80s, li like lived there until the 80s, but he ended up getting um, put into a nursing home, like unexpectedly. He had to go to the hospital, he got put into a nursing home, and no one cleaned out the house, like oh from like God. 1980. And so it's like a time capsule. So you see all of that stuff in the house, and that's just how it is. It's <laughs> like, like the calendar on the wall still says, uh like december 1981 the day that he left like there's still food in the fridge there's still like clothes on the ironing board it's just like he left and no one came back ever to clean out the house mm -hmm. and so jenna and so jenna knew that story really well because i had told her and that house means so much like my everyone tells my grandpa that he should tear down that the interior of that house is different than the exterior that we burned down mm -hmm. um but and but that my my grandpa has such a like close relationship to that house because he grew up there. Uh, he doesn't want to destroy it. He doesn't want to clean it out. He just like wants to like leave it as his time capsule. It's hidden behind trees. Uh, it's like you would never know it's there unless unless you like somehow like wandered in and then you would see like this like this crazy artifact of the past. Wow. Um, and so Jenna knew about that. And so so when Ryan was improving and trying to to make up stories about you know, what this house meant to him, it didn't, he didn't have a connection to it because I hadn't told Ryan all those stories about my grandpa. Jenna knew that. And so Jenna, if, when you listen to the story in the, in the movie, she tells a very similar story to what happened to my great uncle, how, yeah. you know, he just left it and never touched it again. And, um, it, but she was able to improv because she had that history and that background. And I think it, it added so much because her character is full of secrets there's a lot of problem solving. And like, yeah, like Charlie was saying in that moment, I remember telling the story and it's almost like, cause it was a different one than I was telling than what she told me. But because I was in Ava, I could just jump into like this thing, like it was a memory. I remember saying this one line, you know, he just up and left and didn't come back. And then I looked up at Ryan and we had this little moment together where he's like, hmm, that sounds familiar. And it's <laughs> Yeah. And then not only is that a moment in the movie that is true for Ava, but also for myself, I was like, yeah, cause I did, I did leave. I, like, 
I left Minnesota, Ava left South Dakota, (laughs) this person left this house and like all these things were coming together and it just became really layered in this beautiful way that you can't plan for. That was so fun. (laughs) You did a thing, one of my favorite things that movies do where you don't fill in too much of the backstory, you let us figure out the backstory. Um, The obvious one is the pandemic. It doesn't really matter how the pandemic starts or ends. Um, But also Ava's backstory with her family. Mm -hmm. Was there a version where you had it all mapped out and explained it all? Yeah, yeah. We, so we actually had other scenes with Jasper, with the mom and ended up, I mean, Charlie can speak more to this in the edit room, um, but it ended up being more centralized on Ava's experience and her relationship with um, Max and with Kelly. Um, and, but yeah, there, there definitely was more. I think it's, um, yeah, it was about like pulling back and like then rehoning in on like, okay, what is her specific experience and like not living too much in the past? Is that right, Charlie? Yeah, and I think it was also sort of like, have you ever heard of like the Jaws solution that they did, that Spielberg did, did where like, so they were shooting Jaws and they were looking at the shark and the shark just wasn't scary. Right. Like it just like looked a little animatronic. It was just, it wasn't quite working. Like it wasn't scary. It wasn't as scary as it needed to be. And so the solution was to not show the shark. And so you rarely ever see the shark in Jaws. And there's something about not seeing the shark or not knowing that's way scarier than way scarier than anything you can see on screen because your brain will fill in the gaps. And so to me, like, you know, we could have been really specific about what form of abuse that Ava experienced. Or we could have like told her exact backstory, you know, why her fear was happening. But to me, one, because it's a secret, I think like keeping it a bit of a secret from the audience was more interesting, but also like you're gonna fill in the gaps and, and project your own experiences onto it, right. which will also make it feel more scary. And so like what we had stuff that fleshed it out a little bit more, but to me, it made it feel more interesting when you let people figure it out for themselves. Because like, you know, you, you can know, we don't ever know anyone fully and you can have great relationships with people, but you, they still harbor secrets from you or they still aren't totally specific about, you know, what their past was like. And it's, still, and it's okay, like you don't, you're okay with gaps in life. I have just a silly question. I always love when movies portray an actor and show us what their work is in the movie. <laughs> and so you had to create a werewolf show? Yeah. How yeah. did you come up with the werewolf show? Well, I mean, the idea for that character that she was playing is basically inspired by, at the time, all the kind of auditions I was going out for. Where it's like, now you're at sexy demon on this like teen soap thing or like and now like all these like strong female roles that were really just you know sexy women (laughs) being objectified and being like powerful and so for me that was like my little nod to like you know trying to be a in quotes serious actress and then playing things that you don't quite take so seriously or stepping back and you're like Yeah. Um, and so, you know, seeing Ava going through that was also, you know, when I either had to audition like that or play roles like that. As much as I love fantasy and sci-fi, like I will gladly play a demon anytime. But like, um, yeah, just there's some times where you have to go in and it's a struggle to like, you know, not hate yourself and what you're doing. Just being able to like step back and then 
you know, having her come back to her hometown and not that cliche of like, oh, the Hollywood actress is coming home and everyone knows her and she has this like, you know, she's an A-list celebrity and everyone's fawning over her. It's like, you no, know, she's just like a working actress who like has a successful TV show that people sort of make fun of, but it does really well for itself. And maybe she doesn't think so highly of it. And I think that's a lot of people I know out here is like, they're just doing their job and taking the jobs they can get. And sometimes they love it. And sometimes, you know, it was a paycheck and it was maybe fun, but it wasn't, you know, their career and creative aspirations in this role and so that I wanted that to be more realistic and not just her coming back and you know we've seen that before where it's like the A-list celebrity going back to her hometown and everyone just making a big deal out of it. And I think the reality is like I come from a really small town similar to the one that we gave to Ava and the reality is like no matter how successful you are one people recognize everywhere everyone anywhere they go anyway because everyone knows everyone. (laughs) But the idea that you're getting recognized is not because you're famous. It's just because like they know you by name and phone number since you were a little (laughs) kid and people don't like they're happy for you. They don't care that much. Like I can't imagine, no matter how successful I get, I can't imagine a scenario where like people are fawning over me because they've known me since I was a kid, you know? And so like, to me, that feels more real. People are like, Oh, Hey Ava, how's the werewolf thing going? (laughs) Are you married? Yeah. When are you having kids? Like, that's like, <laughs> right. that's how it is when you go home. Like, just like all the old ladies are like, so how old are you now? You're 30? Like that, and it just never changes. Um, and to me, it feels more idealized to think that these people who have known you forever are gonna ever be fawning over you. It's like, they just, they, they babysat you. Um, they know you. And, and so I like that detail. Can you talk about what it was like at CineQuest when, I remember paying close attention to CineQuest and trying to figure out whether it was going to conclude, whether it was going to keep going, whether they were going to shut down, because it was right when festivals were starting to shut down. You're there premiering your movie, and then CineQuest just stops dead in the middle and shifts to online. It must have been so eerie, considering the subject matter of your movie. Yeah. It was, because that's when we didn't know what was happening quite yet. You know, I think the idea that the world is shut down is something that's like we've gotten used to. But at the time, the idea of things like sports stopping or like large events stopping felt unthinkable. Yeah. And so a couple of days before our premiere, South by canceled. Hmm. And when South by canceled, everyone thought that was crazy. Uh, and but, you know, people were becoming more aware of the pandemic, but no one was wearing face masks at all. Like I didn't see, there wasn't, face masks didn't exist yet at that time. There was still like, there was a, like a big party where there was like a buffet. Like, I can't imagine going to a buffet ever again, but people were eating at a buffet. Um, and then the next, the day of our premiere, our movie premiered in the afternoon, but you know, pandemic was very much on people's minds because South by had just canceled. Of course it was all over Europe. And um, after a movie premiered, we got an email that they were gonna shut down the rest of the festival start like this would be the last day and it was you know it was crazy because it felt like you know we've been working on this movie for so long and i we've been carrying it around with us for so long and we finally release it into the world and a pandemic is released Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. at the exact same time and so i you know i feel like i've been thinking about pandemics forever and now we're still living very much in one Mm -hmm. yeah That must be annoying. I mean, obviously the entire thing is annoying, but to go like, I'm ready to move on and start thinking about my next thing and 
now it's like, oh no, now we're all just going to think about this one thing for an indeterminate amount of time. Now it's real. It's hitting way closer to home. <laughs> but I will say it's been good. I, I, good is the wrong word. Lucky is the wrong word. But um, there's a bit of synchronicity and serendipity to uh, the way that things happen because the way people think about and feel about pandemics is completely different. Yeah. And so before it was very speculative and, you know, you know, pandemics were just like any sort of action movie. It could have been zombies. It could have been, you know, anything else because it all felt so far away. But now pandemics feel like real life because we're living in it. And so the, you know, there, you know there's the, the, the text behind the text. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, so the way people are receiving and interpreting and um, feeling about the movie is informed by the things that they're living at the same time. And so I think it, in that way, it's been great because pandemics mean something more to everyone. Uh, people are more interested in knowing about them and watching them in some ways, in some ways they don't want to watch them at all. Um, but at any rate, it, it's more meaningful and it doesn't just feel like some random, you know, apocalypse movie. Well, you always see that clickbait stuff online where it's like the man who predicted Trump's election says this stock is about to explode. And now <laughs> you're that person. Now it's like yeah. the filmmakers who predicted the global pandemic are now making a movie about an alien invasion. So you better look out. I know. It's, I mean, you know, and it, the timing is so crazy because it's not like we sat on this movie and waited for a pandemic to break out to release it. It yeah. was completely coincidental. And the fact that it, echoes what's happening so um, closely, I, I think is really bizarre. We did talk, so when we first were having conversations about the movie, it was during the Ebola outbreak. And so, and my best friend works for the CDC and she was one of the people who went to Africa during the Ebola outbreak. And so I was talking to her like, what would the CDC do? And one thing she said is they would try to restrict travel, um, try to lock down cities, in order to you know, keep the virus contained so it's not like spreading across the country, uh, taking people's temperatures. She also said people would wear masks, but just from a practical standpoint, having all of your actors in masks the whole movie just doesn't really quite work. So that's, right. that's why we don't really have as many masks in the movie. Um, but, but we did like base it upon what the CDC protocol might be. Yeah. And, and so I think that's also why you're seeing things line up. Um, Jenna, how hard was it to act your own script? I mean, you know, I've, I've done it before shooting this movie on like a smaller scale. And so I had some experience doing that and I've been, you know, writing since I was in middle school, I was like writing short plays and in high school, short films and performing my own work and directing my friends and plays that I wrote. And then buying a camera in high school and shooting my own short films and stuff. And so I've always known that I was going to be doing both and sometimes separately and sometimes in conjunction with each other. I think um, for me as a writer, like actually writing dialogue for myself, sometimes it's easier because I, I know how I speak and I know how I sound and like as a you know young woman out here and going out and auditioning a lot of times like young women especially are not written by people who really understand how young women speak and so I would go into these auditions for these characters that it would be like bubbly sexy or sweet or like all these sort of one-dimensional things and things that like I didn't feel like 
my voice did. Like I wanted something grittier and something that felt more like me in the way that I communicate with people. And, you know, not like Ava is this, like she, she finds her own strengths, but I, I also think that, you know, she's a very vulnerable person and there is this like beauty in that. And so I, I really enjoy being able to create a voice that like young women don't often get um, though. It is hard because it's like, writing a role for yourself that you know is right for you, you know, but also still challenging yourself to do something different and do something that's scary and, and, um, you know, outside of your comfort zone is also really important. So I was trying to balance that as much as I possibly could. And then I, th I think it was hardest probably on set because I couldn't just be an actor. You know, I was also, writing it or rewriting it um, producing, you know, so in between takes, I couldn't just be living in Ava's mind, you know, cause people are still calling me Jenna cause I'm also producing. And so it's like, Hey Jenna, can we do that? And like, okay. And I'm just trying to like, trying to learn how to compartmentalize. And I think, especially on an indie movie, um, you're not able to do that as much. So all of the other actors could go off into that little corner over there and go work on their stuff. And like, that's fantastic. I'm so glad they had that. And, I just didn't get that. And so now when I go onto set and I'm just acting, it's like, oh my God, I can go to my trailer and shut the door and no one's gonna ask for me until they're ready. And, you know, as I definitely wanna keep doing both and writing for myself and performing my own scripts, but there is, um, it's a tricky balance to, to be able to do both simultaneously. I know it always feels like there's so much work and once I'm done with this, I'll finally be able to sort of stop and rest. And then another thing comes up and then another thing comes up. Have you both given yourself a minute to just sort of go, Hey, we did it. Like this worked. We made a good movie. We got it out into the world. Like, have you had that feeling yet of we accomplished this? I don't know. No. <laughs> like, well, cause I feel like the reason why we made this movie is to have careers. Right. And I love, I would this this is something I would do for free if I could eat and live without getting paid. <laughs> I need to eat and live. So, but, but you know, we do, it's like almost like a siren call. Like you, we love making things. And, you know, the reality is like, because this movie is doing, you know, being well received and we are in the middle of a pandemic, it is getting attention. Like this is the time to be creating and this is the time to have ideas. And this is the time to like, to be ready to like figure out what the next thing is going to be because the reality of the industry is it moves really fast. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so if, if, you know, you have to catch people while they're, while they're excited. And so I, I, both of us are, you know, working and developing on our next things. One, because I would be bored and not know what to do with myself if I didn't. Um, but, but two, because this is kind of our time, like we have to. Can you talk about what the next things are or is it too early? It's a little too early to talk about it, but uh, I've been working on some TV stuff. Cool. Um, and I think Jenna has as well. And also I've been working on a, um, a narrative, another narrative feature too, which I hope I will be able to talk about soon. Nice. <laughs> Jenna, yeah. are you, anything you're able to talk about or? Yeah, um, I'm writing a pilot right now, a dark comedy for HBO Max with my writing partner, Anna Akana. Um, it's being produced by Diablo Cody, our showrunner. She's my hero. I love her. And uh, Jim Parsons, his production company. Um, they've both been amazing to collaborate with and just learning how T 
TV works and have a few other um, TV shows in development too at different studios and production companies. So hopping into that side of things and working on, I'm still doing some drama stuff, um, but I'm doing also a lot of dark comedy, which has been really, really fun. Um, and I have a, another feature that I didn't write, I starred in, um, that is basically done. It just needs like, we need like a day of pickups. <laughs> Once we can travel again, that was shot in Louisiana and Virgin Islands. It's called Presence. It's a psychological thriller. Um, and it's, it's so much fun. It's kind of a crazy movie. I don't even know if I can, I don't want to give anything away about it because it's goes all over the place. Um, but yeah, that one should be coming out hopefully early next year. It really depends, you know, how the pandemic goes. And, um, but yeah, it's pretty much done. And then um, our, this Netflix show I'm on called The Kaminsky Method just got renewed for season three. So we'll shoot that someday. <laughs> uh, and the last thing I realized midway through this, I never asked, and I'm sure people are wondering about, uh, Charlie, why did your grandfather need a need a house burned down? Um, because so in South Dakota and most places in the Midwest, like from the Homestead Act, the way that it used to be is that there was basically like houses on every corner. Um, so like if you're flying in the sky above the uh, above farmland, what you'll often see is one the plots are all in squares because like the way that you own like the acres, you can see they're all a mile. And the places where people would put houses were like they'd put them on each corner. So all the houses are near each other, not far, because like when it's freezing cold and you don't have any resources, you want to have people near you. Oh, wow. um, and at the time, you know, like in the 1800s, early 1900s, people didn't have the capacity to farm like huge plots of land because you didn't have tractors. You didn't have like all those resources. And so as time has progressed and family farms have gotten bigger, they've sort of swallowed up what used to be these homesteads. Um, and so you have these old houses that were built like during the Homestead Act or like 19, early 1920s, 30s that are now dilapidated and empty. Um, and the best way to get rid of them is just to burn them down because like it would take way too much to bring out trucks and like a big bulldozer and then still have all these materials that you have to haul out. It's much easier just to like light a match and let it go and then it's, you know, it's completely gone. Yeah. And so and it's just like from a very practical standpoint, it's easier to burn it down. And these, there's tons of houses on these now single family farms because back in the day, there was a lot more people farming and uh, you had you know, more people farming like less areas of land and they had all these houses close together. Yeah, so that's, yeah that's a good example <laughs> of how, you know, the set pieces that we had changed the script because you know originally there there was a fire in the script before we knew about that house it just yeah. it was supposed to be in the field which is also a thing that people do in farm communities and she was going to trap you know someone in the in the field and like you know lighting fires along um in these different crop areas but then once we found out there was a house to burn down it was like well that's obviously preferable and like way cooler so then I had to like go back and completely rewrite the scene for a burning house which changes everything you know yeah. choreography wise and like just the emotions in the scene like when you're in this like dilapidated house it was actually called dilapidated house in the script which is really fun to make people say like you know 10 times fast you know <laughs> well but then also so 
one of the things I also love about this movie, you know, we made it a pandemic because we wanted it to be invisible, like something that could cause worldwide upheaval. And we also wanted, we're like, how can we show this evolution of the world? You know, the, we, the, the world it starts out at the beginning of the pandemic and then we evolve into like more of a dystopia. And, you know, when you, if you live in the Midwest, you know that the summer is so lush and so beautiful and so alive and green. Uh, but the winter feels like the end of the world. Like it feels like the apocalypse. It, it can just be Wednesday, but it feels like you're like, this is it. This is what hell looks like. Um, and so having that time change sells the idea that the world is ending, you know, because because you went from green life, everything is vivid, you know, the crops are big to the crops are dead. The trees have no leaves. Everything is brown. The actors are li literally freezing. You can see their breaths. You know, like so cool. it, it helps, it, help, it adds to the palette. It helps sell it in a way that if we shot it all in one season, you wouldn't see that and feel that contrast. So even if people aren't noticing it, I think like just in the palette of the world, you can feel. And in, in, in the ways that we were able to shoot. So like we shot a lot more handheld in the winter because it was too freezing cold to like put things on sticks and like, and have a bunch of coverage. Cause it was, it was, we didn't have trailers and it was negative five degrees outside. Um, oh my God, that's, and you get the jittery fill. Oh, that's yeah, because so cool. like the, the, we're all cold, you know, you can see like it adds to the performances because our actors are literally freezing. Um, and then also the reason why we ended up using the house that my grandpa was born in that, you know, that was a time capsule wasn't actually our original idea, but we shot the winter first. And so we had already burned down the house that we needed to see later on. So we had to have a different interior. The house didn't exist anymore because we burned it down. Um, and so, you know, then it became obvious that we should use this other house. Um, but, it, you know, it was also just from a practical standpoint. It's also just the coolest way to open a movie ever. And I'm glad it's the first scene because we're not spoiling anything. You hear the sound and you're like, what is that? And then it comes up and it's like, oh, geez. <laughs> and that's really a burning house. Like we had one house that we had to burn down. We had one camera. We didn't have a bunch of cameras to shoot. Um, you know, the, the movie's about what happens before the fire. So it's not a spoiler to burn down, you know, to talk about the fact that there's a fire. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> but but so the way that the, the fire starts, um, Jenna's character starts, actually, actually never mind. I'm not going to tell this part of the story. But, but, um, but just from a practical standpoint, like we had one shot at it. And for us, like the most important thing was to keep everyone safe um, because obviously that's all that's important. You know, that's all that matters. And so we only had our heads of department near the fire at all, which means it was Jenna, I, who were producers on the movie and our DP, who was also a producer on the movie, uh, were the only people near. So we weren't even running sound during that part. Oh, wow. Yeah, because we were just like, it's just not, you know, and before we even started, we we're like, you're making this decision freely. You're making this decision freely. You don't feel pressured. No one's pressuring you. You know, you're not going to get fired. Like, we all know what we're doing. Like, there's no PAs that are like feeling forced to be near a burning house. Um, and then our dads, my dad's burned down tons of houses in his lifetime, just like being a farm kid, you know, like you're forced to learn a lot of skills. And my cousin, my younger cousin is a firefighter. Okay. And so they help supervise, like how to, you know, how to control the fire. So that way, you know, I wanted it to be big and epic. Um, 
And if, you know, if there's anyone who is invested and Jenna's dad is also there. And so, and if there's anyone who's invested in keeping us safe, it's our dads, you know, because our moms are at home, like, like you better bring them home because if they don't live, like don't come home. And so like, and so you, in my mind, it's like, you, you know, that the, the situation was safe because our dads were letting us do it and watching us to make sure that everything was safe. And they were very invested in making sure we came home alive um, and not burned up. And so, you know, it looks really big and, and it is, and it hot, it was literally very hot and all the fire you see is real. Nothing is fake except for one special effect inside the house. But it was also like, we were really careful and prioritize safety the whole time. Yeah. And that, that's something that I never in my position as a producer would ask an actor to do. Um, but since it was me, I could be like, yeah, I'll risk my life because this is awesome. Yeah. Do it. And so I'm like literally standing in a house that is, you know, at a certain point I couldn't go in the house anymore because it was too hot. Like I singed part of my eyebrow the last time I got close. And then we have it on camera of like me in the doorway. And I'm just like, waiting for Charlie to, you know, yell action, but I can hardly hear it. So Drew, our DP has to yell and there's just smoke like billowing. Above. Oh, wow. It was and so hot. All of it. Cause it was like, it didn't even look realistic, but it was actually happening. It was just so hot and at a certain point. You just couldn't get close because it would just burn your face it's off. A and fire tornado that in one shot, we couldn't even use it all. Like, it was like the worst kind of killing your darlings. So Usually like, there's a fire tornado. How do we get this in? <laughs> but I, I looked over at my dad and just kind of like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, he's not freaking out. So it's fine. But yeah, then the the fire like, he was actually really tired and was stressed out. Just, he's, a bit, he's a stoic Minnesota Norwegian man. And so he doesn't show all of his feelings. Um, but on the drive home, it was actually my dad's truck that we used as Max's truck and that we would actually oh. drive back and forth. And so I could tell he was exhausted. And so I drove and I'm like just covered in soot and like <laughs> fake blood. And I'm like driving my dad's truck and I look over and he's just like passed out, exhausted. <laughs> he was probably the entire time was like. So well, bad. then so all <laughs> the next morning. So we have a scene the next day, like in the like when she's in front of the ashes of the house. And so we were thinking like, you know, as we're talking about the script and how we're going to do the next scene, it's like, we hope that the house should, you know, we'll plan the schedule where the house burns overnight, we shoot an overnight, and then we get the morning shot in the morning as the sun is rising. And we hope that the house is mostly burned down by then. We hope, like, it was just oh, all, God. like, it was just, you know, you know like, I feel like it was kind of a tightrope where any step could have, like, led to disaster, and somehow it worked out, and we would have done something else or figured it out had it not worked. But it ended up being, like, perfectly burned you know down to embers where it's still smoking like there's still like baby fires jenna was literally covered in actual soot and like the, the soot that she's covered in it's not makeup that's just <laughs> what happened like she was in front of a burning sooty house and then by the next morning she's like covered we were all covered in it like if you turn the camera around we all look like just like her um and you know and the, the sunrise rose behind the house and it will like somehow happen to be kind of all the same palette, like the grays of this in the sky were similar to the grays and purples in the burning house when Jenna was also covered in those grays and purples. And it was beautiful. And it luckily just worked out that way. <laughs> in the sense that like we like we had planned it, but we also allowed for like those magic like unknowns of we hoped that it was gonna work out, but we it's not like we could afford to like create that situation. It it was gonna be what it was.